Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you so much, Norma. And I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's workshop, Update on Chronic Lymphocytic Leukemia, or CLL, from the 2018 American Society of Hematology, or ASH, annual meeting. Today's program is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and the CLL Society, Inc., and we're delighted to have that collaboration. The CLL Society is unique in the sense that they focus only on CLL and just a wonderful collaborating organization, and you'll hear later um, from them in detail about all the services they can offer you. Now, um, on the program today, we have um, a wonderful response to the program today. We have over 458 participants on the call today, so there are a lot of you on the call. You come from both urban, rural, and suburban areas, and you come from all over the United States. And we also have international participants on the call today from Canada, Croatia, India, Israel, Nigeria, and the United Kingdom. So it's a bit of a global call. Today's program is supported by Pharmaceuticals Inc. and Janssen Biotech Inc. And I really want to thank them for their support of the program. Now, before the program starts and, you, and before we introduce the speakers, um, we are going to um, have uh, polling, two polling questions to ask each of you. And I know some of you are on the web and some of you are on the telephone. And Norma will explain to you how that works. But we're really doing it because we'd like the information will help us to um, inform future programs that we're planning to offer on CLL. So we very much appreciate your participating in this. And again, it will take about two, two to three minutes, and then we'll go right ahead and you'll hear from our expert speakers. So I'm now going to turn this program back to um, Norma, who's our lead operator, and she'll explain to you um, how, what the questions are and how, um, how to respond to them. Uh, Thank you, Dr. Messner. Ladies and gentlemen, we are now ready to begin the polling session. For those listening over the web, you'll see the polling question pop up on your screen now. Please select your answer and click Submit. Our first polling question is, have you had your biomarkers tested? On the phone lines, press 1 for yes or 2 for no. On the web, select your answer and then click Submit. Our second question, have you asked your doctor about biomarker testing? Press 1 for yes on the phone lines and 2 for no. And this concludes the polling session. Dr. Messner, you may resume. Well, thank you so much, and we're delighted that um, you've all participated in this um, polling. I'm seeing that um, this has been wonderful that you've done this. I thank you all, and it will help us as we plan future programs. Now, we have wonderful speakers on our program today, and I want to begin by introducing our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Alexi Danilov. And Dr. Danilov is Associate Professor of Medicine, Knight Cancer Institute, Oregon Health and Science University, o or OHSU. Um, and Dr. Danilov is going to be presenting um, really um, an overview of chronic lymphocytic leukemia, or CLL, 
current treatment options, research presented at ASH, new and emerging treatment approaches, managing treatment side effects, and clinical trial updates from ASH. It's really my great privilege to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Danilov. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Um, uh, it's a pleasure to speak here again, um, and I'm going to uh, give a brief overview of chronic lymphocytic leukemia, what biomarkers we use and uh, in, in everyday practice, and what has happened in, uh, at ASH in, uh, in 2018, what kind of new data emerged from that uh, meeting. Um, um, as many of the cold know, chronic lymphocytic leukemia is a very common leukemia uh, with about 20,000 uh, cases diagnosed in the United States alone, and this makes it actually one of the most common leukemias and uh, lymphomas. So it's a malignancy of the lymphocytes. So there are uh, lymphocytes is a type of a white cell um, which is typically involved in uh, fighting off um, an infection. However, in chronic lymphocytic leukemia, the lymphocytes are uh, dysfunctional and no longer protect uh, uh, us from infection, but uh, they expand abnormally. And specifically, it's a particular subtype of lymphocyte uh, called the B cell. So uh, the way this type of uh, uh, leukemia typically presents is during a routine uh, blood count. So a lot of uh, our patients are diagnosed during their routine blood count in their 60s and uh, early 70s. And what we find is that the, the white cell count is elevated and overrepresented by those lymphocytes, B cell lymphocytes. Um, uh, however, some patients may, and, and many patients are actually completely asymptomatic at that stage. However, some patients may have symptoms such as swollen lymph nodes. Uh, some patients may have what we call B symptoms with fevers, night sweats, uh, occasionally weight loss. Um, some patients may have fatigue and also some other abnormalities on the blood count which might include uh, anemia, uh, low, um, low white cell count in fact, uh, low neutrophil count, and um, low platelet count. So, um, and for diagnosis, we typically would do a physical examination, evaluate the size of the spleen and the size of the lymph nodes, and then um, uh, perform a test called flow cytometry, and that's just a test uh, done on peripheral blood, um, uh, which lets us evaluate the uh, lymphocytes and uh, assign and, uh, and diagnose chronic lymphocytic leukemia. So the chronic lymphocytic leukemia cells, they do carry a particular signature on their surface, which can be detected by this test of uh, flow cytometry. So the, once this is done, then we, when, then we decide whether the, uh, uh, whether treatment is needed or not. So the majority of patients, actually, we uh, decide to watch and wait, meaning that we first uh, uh, we, uh, we, we, we evaluate whether there are any symptoms which warrant treatment, whether there is anemia or thrombocytopenia, whether those symptoms, if they're there, are truly related to CLL or something else sometimes. Um, and uh, if we decide on treatment, um, 
Um, it, they, at this stage, we typically evaluate some of the disease biomarkers. Now, some of them can also be evaluated even if we decide to watch and wait. It really depends. But um, it's often a just a diagnosis, and for sure, before treatment, we evaluate certain biomarkers. And that may include, at a minimum, uh, look at, looking at disease genetics by cytogenetics and something called FISH, fluorescent inside to hybridization that tells us about the disease risks um, and also for most patients we look at uh, uh, something called IGHV mutational status which uh, tells us about the genetic composition of the B cell receptor so it's just another sophisticated test which uh, often uh, the physician's offices will send out to other labs, um, which gives us another prognostic information in terms of how uh, patients will respond to treatment. So FISH and IGHV mutational status are probably the two most important tests these days, which we perform on every patient. Now, um, I, I often also uh, conduct next generation sequencing panel, which also can be prognostic and help choice of uh, therapy. So, um, again, many patients can be watched for five, seven years, sometimes longer before treatment is required. And at least in the old age of chemotherapy, immunotherapy, there hasn't been any benefit to introducing treatment early. Uh, and uh, we don't have any data in novel therapy age whether uh, treating patients early is helpful. So the frontline treatment options in CLL in, include chemotherapy, uh, immunotherapy, um, and targeted therapy. So chemotherapy and immunotherapy is typically given in combination, and uh, th those are regimens such as FCR, lubdarabin, cyclophosphamide rituximab, and BR, bendamustine rituximab. So and FCR is a uh, more aggressive type of treatment with, which has higher side effect profile and bendamustine rituximab is less aggressive with lower side effect profile but probably somewhat less active. Actually we do know it's somewhat less, somewhat less active. Occasionally we will use immunotherapy alone such as uh, a drug called abinituzumab in combination with um, uh, oral chemotherapy called chlorambucil. And uh, finally targeted therapy, uh, the only drug which is currently approved for frontline treatment in CLL is called ibrutinib. It's, a, it's an inhibitor of bruton tyrosine kinase. And uh, there are some other agents which we can use in relapse disease, such as BCL2 inhibitor venetoclax and phosphoenetidine-3 kinase inhibitors, either lalizib and duvelizib. So there are several novel agents currently approved for therapy in, of CLL, which have really improved survival of patients with CLL. So a lot of those, so ibrutinib has certainly moved into frontline setting. A second generation inhibitor, acalabrutinib, is included in NCCN guidelines, although not technically FDA approved for elapsed refractory CLL. So BTK inhibitors have really occupied now a large space in therapy of chronic lymphocytic leukemia and uh, are often now used in frontline therapy of chronic lymphocytic leukemia. And so at this current uh, American Society of Hematology meeting, there were several uh, studies presented which further help outline, which further help decide, um, make a decision between chemotherapy, chemoimmunotherapy, and novel therapy when you are planning to treat 
patients with chronic lymphocytic leukemia. So um, basically the main themes which emerged in 2018, well, uh, what is better, uh, chemotherapy or um, uh, ibrutinib in upfront therapy of CLL. And the other question which, which, which uh, we are trying to address now is can we actually stop uh, novel therapy? And the reason for this question is because currently ibrutinib is prescribed until progression or until emergence of adverse events. And that, of course, is associated with um, uh, some issues such as uh, uh, drug toxicity, financial toxicity, and just an inconvenience of taking a, uh, a pill every day. So um, the first study which was presented at uh, ASH actually addressed the question of use of fludarabin, cyclophosphamide, and rituximab, the FCR regimen. So now this is a very particular regimen uh, where we think this regimen could potentially have some what, what we call curative potential in a subtype of uh, uh, CLL. So, and that subtype is patients with mutated IGHV. So the MD Anderson data and the European data showed that patients who have mutated IGHV actually reach a plateau where they stop progressing after about you know nine to ten years uh, of this uh, uh, after they come off therapy. And uh, not everybody is this way. It's only patients who achieve very low deep remissions early on. Um, some half of the patients approximately still progress even though they have IGHV mutation with mutated. Um, but nevertheless, many patients remain in, in remissions many, many years later. So there is a bit of a, there is a curative potential with this regimen, whereas we really don't think about this disease as we can cure it with our standard therapies. So, um, however, in patients with unmutated IGHV, that potential doesn't quite seem to be there. So the first study that I want to talk about um, uh, it was a randomized study which was conducted by the cooperative group uh, which randomized patients to either ibrutinib in combination with rituximab or FCR regimen. So um, there was no choice what kind of regimen patients could get. And uh, 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 in this uh, particular study, there was an improvement in uh, progression-free survival uh, among patients who received ibrutinib combination, meaning that those patients, it took them longer uh, to experience disease progression. Now, of course, FCI is given for six cycles, meaning six months, and then patients come off therapy. In the meantime, ibrutinib is administered daily. So so patients stay on treatment uh, during this study. But nevertheless, there was an improvement in uh, progression-free survival. Also, this study showed uh, that patients uh, uh, who uh, were randomized to ibrutinib uh, actually had somewhat higher chance of being alive after about three years on study. You know, there, 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 there is some controversy about that, but, never, but nevertheless, this is what the study showed in general. Uh, when you talk about progression, there seems to be quite a difference between patients who had mutated and unmutated IGHV. So um, there was not quite so much difference in progression between 
ibrutinib treated and FCR treated patients uh, if they had mutated IGHV. All the benefits so far seems to be confined to patients with unmutated IGHV. So this is important to bring up in the discussion when we uh, talk about uh, what particular regimen we use in younger patients. We don't use FCR anymore in patients who are older than 65, but in those who are younger, there may be still room for this, there is still room for this regimen depending on IGHV status and depending on fish and cytogenetics. So that's an important discussion to have. The, bene the convenience of this regimen is six months of therapy followed by um, no therapy until progression, whereas ibrutinib needs to be taken daily, of course. So the other study which I wanted to highlight is a study which compared, uh, again, another um, uh, cooperative group, large study, which uh, randomized patients to bendamustine and rituximab. That's another type of chemotherapy, not as effective than as, as FCR, however, has fewer side effects and can be given to all the patients. And uh, uh, the other uh, the other uh, uh, drugs on the study were ibrutinib and rituximab, or ibrutinib without rituximab. So patients were randomized to those three types of therapy: BR, bendamustine, rituximab, ibrutinib, or ibrutinib and rituximab. So what this study has shown are two things. So one, again, patients who received bendamustine rituximab progressed sooner than patients who received either of the ibrutinib combinations. So again, uh, bendamustine rituximab is given for six months, and then we wait for progression. Ibrutinib is given daily, so all this, most patients who received ibrutinib are still getting ibrutinib. But nevertheless, there was a significant improvement in uh, progression-free survival, what we call, in, in ibrutinib arms. Uh, the second uh, message of the study is that adding rituximab to ibrutinib does not seem to matter. Ibrutinib and ibrutinib rituximab arms performed exactly the same in terms of disease progression. So on both, there was no difference whatsoever, and uh, rituximab did not help stave off progression in patients who received ibrutinib. So it seems that so far, ibrutinib as single agent is sufficient um, uh, to induce uh, responses in patients with CLL who have not been previously treated, and adding rituximab may not add any benefit. So um, uh, again, in this study, similarly like the above study, uh, patients who had unmutated IGHV benefited very strongly. And uh, uh, patients uh, who had mutated IGHV did not benefit as much with the brutinib compared to bendamustine rituximab. So this is a very important prognostic biomarker, uh, which can help make the decision um, in terms of choice of therapy. However, this is only three years of follow-up, and uh, I would uh, uh, we will have to see what happens a year or two later, and whether. Uh, many of us would predict that uh, patients, even with mutated IGHV, uh, will not have such good efficacy of bendamustine rituximab compared to ibrutinib. Now, I want to, to mention here that the safety profile, the adverse events between chemotherapy and ibrutinib are very different. 
So what we typically deal with chemotherapy, such as bendamastinitaximab, is immune suppression. You know, 40% of patients get neutropenia, 15% of patients get infections. Um, however, what we deal with, and that's a rash, some patients get rash. So that's, those are common side effects with bendamastinitaximab. With the brutinib combinations, it's a bit different. You can still see some neutropenia. Up to 20% of patients uh, develop neutropenia. About 20% of patients also develop infections. So there is a little bit, there is some level of immune suppression going on with those new drugs. However, what happens there is also risk of atrial fibrillation, which, is, which goes up to 16-18% in some studies, and uh, risk of elevated blood pressure up to 30%, maybe even higher, and uh, some other uh, heart-related side effects. So the, the safety profile of ibrutinib is very different than chemoimmunotherapy and warrants a detailed discussion with your physician when the decision is uh, being made. Another study which was presented, and I will also only mention it very briefly, is a study which uh, randomized patients, it's called Illuminate, a study which randomized patients to either ibrutinib or benetuzumab. It's another combination of ibrutinib with a drug similar to rituximab, but uh, a more sophisticated drug, second-generation CD20 antibody, or chlorambucil benetuzumab. So chlorambucil is the old type of therapy uh, which we use less and less. It's pill pill form chemotherapy. Anyway, and in this study as well, there was improvement in uh, uh, progression-free survival, so patients progressed much faster if they received abinituzumab uh, chlorambucil compared to patients who received ibrutinib um, uh, and abinituzumab. Uh, so, um, one note I want to make about this study is that uh, pa patients with deletion 17P actually were allowed uh, on the study, and we do know that patient that deletion 17P is a disease feature which makes CLL relatively um, resistant to chemotherapy and and, and immunotherapy. So drugs like rituximab, uh, bendamustine, fludarabine, chlorambucil. So by contrast, the brutinib still works pretty well in disease with the CLL with deletion 17P. So I'd say in this day and age, for patients who present with uh, CLL with deletion 17P, uh, they should be treated with targeted therapy, not with chemoimmunotherapy combinations uh, up front. And, um, uh, that is also why it's so important to check uh, some of those biomarkers, cytogenetics, and fish. Um, anyway, so um, I think what those studies, however, show in combination is that uh, uh, use, use of ibrutinib does delay progression compared to uh, standard um, chemoimmunotherapy. Um, the next uh, study which I want to highlight is a study called Morano. So that's the study which led to approval of venetoclax rituximab combination in relapsed refractory chronic lymphocytic leukemia. So it was presented at ASH in 2017, and the update was given at this ASH in 2018. So in this study, uh, Patients were also randomized to either venetoclax, rituximab, and I'll remind you, venetoclax is a BCL2 
targeting agent, uh, novel targeted therapy type of uh, treatment, or bendamustin rituximab, which is uh, standard chemoimmunotherapy, which you've noticed I mentioned before. So, and progression free survival, and those patients had prior treatment, um, uh, and uh, 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 some of them actually had up to uh, 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 three, more than three prior therapies, um, but most patients had one or two. And uh, basically what this study has shown is, again, uh, patients who received venetoclax rituximab actually had uh, longer progression-free survival. So um, patients who received BR, their disease progressed after an average of 17 months. And that's in, that includes six months of therapy, by the way. So a year, a year after therapy is complete, uh, the majority of patients actually progress uh, after on BR, on bendamustine rituximab therapy. By contrast, uh, patients who received venetoclax rituximab, rituximab combination, most of them uh, still, not have, still have not progressed. And that's... Uh, after three years of follow-up. Now, the difference, uh, the, the particular feature of this regimen, venetoclax rituximab, is that it is stopped after two years. So, say, with the brutinib combination, the brutinib is continued indefinitely. Um, however, venetoclax is stopped after two years. And that's in part because venetoclax seems to induce much deeper responses uh, early on compared with ibrutinib. So uh, one uh, particular feature which was presented this at this ASH is how did patients do after they actually stopped venetoclax? Did they, did they relapse immediately? And the answer is no. Uh, patients were on venetoclax for two years, were free of progression, so still were in response uh, to their treatment. They were taken off venetoclax after two years. And after 10 months of, after additional 10 months of follow-up, close to 90% of patients still have not progressed. About one in 10 patients progressed um, after uh, being off venetoclax for close to a year. So this gives us uh, um, uh, good confidence that um, that uh, uh, venetoclax may be used as a time-limited therapy. Um, uh, uh, in CLL and uh, stave off disease progression, and uh, it doesn't happen necessarily right after the, the drug is stopped. So uh, there was also a, a, uh, some information uh, about patients who did stop venetoclax and, pro and progressed, and it seems that those patients may actually be uh, retreated with venetoclax again with uh, some success. Again, uh, it's important to note that venetoclax does work in patients who have deletion 17P or mutations in TP53 gene. It doesn't seem to work as well as in patients who don't have those uh, genetic features. But nevertheless, I just want to highlight again that it is important to check for those particular biomarkers every time uh, that uh, treatment is uh, uh, planned. I, I want to mention another, uh, the last study I want to mention is a combination of those novel agents. And the reason why I want to mention this study is because this novel combination regimen will be evaluated in uh, large cooperative group trials. So a combination of ibrutinib, venetoclax, and abinutuzumab, 
will be studied in patients with CLL, both younger patients and uh, patients over 65. Uh, and, um, uh, and those studies will be starting now uh, through the cooperative groups. There is experience with this regimen, which has been presented by Ohio State uh, 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 group, and um, the treatment continues for about a year, and with combination of venetoclax, uh, ibrutinib, and abinituzumab. And this treatment actually results in a very high response rate. The overall response rate uh, was uh, close to 100%, and the treatment was pretty well uh, tolerated, which uh, uh, gives us uh, quite good confidence that we will be able to uh, use it uh, in, uh, in therapy of many patients uh, with chronic lymphocytic, lymphocytic leukemia. So the, again, another important feature of this particular regimen is that all treatment is stopped, stopped after roughly a year, and patients are followed off therapy as opposed to ibrutinib single agent where treatment continues daily until progression. So um, just to recap, um, at this current ASH, what we have seen is, is uh, uh, continued confidence that use of targeted therapy in, um, uh, in previously untreated CLL results in delayed progression uh, of disease compared to chemoimmunotherapy. Um, and uh, on the other hand, now we are, are designing those uh, new regimens, either uh, mostly combination regimens, where we are able to stop therapy after a year or two. So that's what I wanted to talk about uh, today. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Danilov. That was very comprehensive and really, um, really, I think we all feel like we attended ASH because you provided all of this um, updates and I know there, there are lots of questions for you coming in um, already um, online, but before we take questions, I'm going to introduce our next speaker, um, uh, Ms. Patricia Kaufman. Ms. Kaufman is co-founder and executive director of the CLL Society, Inc., which is a wonderful organization, um, and she's going to describe to you their um, CL Society's free programs and services and a bit about their website as well and other features that they offer. It's, if you aren't familiar with them already, definitely want to um, contact them. And, uh, and Ms. Coffin has really um, dedicated her life and, and work um, to um, really developing this organization. Um, uh, so I'm going to now turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, um, uh, Ms. Kaufman. Thank you, Carolyn. Well, the CLL Society is here to help CLL patients and their caregivers with a website full of patient-friendly resources. Whether you are newly diagnosed or have been a CLL patient for a very long time, our learning tools will meet you at any stage in your disease process. We teach, we explain, and we connect you. We know that smart patients get smart care, so we have developed tools to make you a smarter patient, helping you to advocate for your best care. As media, we cover all the major hematology conferences where we interview the world's top CLL researchers on cutting-edge advances in treatment options. Then we write articles which explain what this research means to CLL patients. And we can demystify CLL terminology for you with our glossary of terms. We cut through the confusion with our sections on acronyms and abbreviations so that you can acquire an understanding of the language of CLL. 
If you got your lab results from your healthcare provider, but you really don't know what they mean, please compare them to our chart of normal lab values to understand what they mean. Then please let us connect you with other CLL patients and their caregivers. The CLL Society currently has more than 29 CLL-specific support groups meeting monthly across the country to welcome you and inform you. We are affiliated with five more groups, and 18 more are currently forming. Please go to our website and fill out a survey to indicate your interest in a forming group or find out if there's an existing group in the city near you. Plan to attend one of our annual patient educational forums. We put on 12 of these every year. This is where we gather the best minds in CLL to provide you with a half-day, in-depth look at the many facets of CLL treatment. And if you are one of those patients who does not have access to a CLL expert, please come to our website and apply to be considered as a candidate for our no-cost expert access program. This is a video interview with an expert who will look at over your medical records and help you discuss help you discuss issues that you might have and would like to discuss with your provider. Currently we have over 100 openings available. The research and the short surveys that we do on our website become your voice and that we use the, the information that we get from these surveys to inform healthcare providers, CLL researchers, the pharmaceutical industry, and others as to what patients really want in their CLL care. Please visit our website today to get the kind of knowledge that strengthens your ability to advocate on your own behalf for the best possible care for your CLL. Oh, thank you so much, uh, Ms. Coffin. That was really outstanding. And I, I just want to just reiterate just what a wonderful resource this is. And certainly their expert access program is just so amazing. Um, I don't think anyone else offers that, and I think it's just an incredible resource. So um, please take advantage of their resources. And at the end of the program, you will all be getting an evaluation, and it will include any resource any of us mentioned during the program today so that um, – um, and you, you also have all the information. You'll get the information about the CL Society, everything um, in the materials you'll get from us. We're back to take questions, but before we do so, I just want to say a few words about Cancer Care. Um, Cancer Care is a national organization, and we um, are staffed by oncology social workers. They're master's, lane, master's trained uh, social workers, and they specialize in working with people with cancer. And we... Um, we offer a number of different services um, from practical and financial assistance as well as a copay foundation. We also offer individual counseling, a kind of a fancy word for really a chance to talk with somebody who really listens to you um, about what your concerns might be and, um, and, and what are some of the things that are troubling you or worrying, worrying you. Um, some of those things could be how do I talk to my children about my CLL, uh, how do I talk to my boss about my CLL, um, how do I think about it for myself. Um, and so many other issues that you might be confronting. Um, and we also have support groups. We do them on the telephone as well as online. Uh, we have at the moment about 138 online support groups, and those groups are for all different ages, so for young adults, for older adults, um, for um, different types of cancers, so of course CLL uh, as well, um, for caregivers, um, and um, we also um, have a um, Helping Children Cope program, which is for children who are affected by cancer in their families. 
people often don't know quite what to say to children. Children don't know what to do, and so it, it, children and teens is a very helpful program for people. Um, and in addition to that, we um, offer these workshops, lots of them per year, um, and um, we have a number of publications. So that all being said, um, we now have time for questions. And I'm going to ask Norma to explain to you how to queue up for questions. Some of you seem to know how to do this already online, but we're going to give everybody a fair chance. So if um, Norma will explain to you how to queue up for questions. And we're going to take, try to take as many of your questions as possible. If we do not get your question at the end of the program, I will identify how other ways you might get your questions answered. Uh, Norma? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then 1 on your touchstone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask the Question. Um, we have a question from one of our online participants. Um, so I'm going to start. This question is for Dr. Danwaz. Um, I've been on watch and wait since diagnosis two and a half years ago. Aside from increasing lymphocyte count, my primary symptom has been increasing fatigue despite otherwise excellent condition and sufficient sleep. What do you recommend for treating the fatigue which is impacting my life? So if you could address this question in a general way, Dr. Dan Rob, I think that would be helpful yeah. to the, the yeah, question absolutely. as well as the entire... Uh, right. So, so fatigue as a sole symptom of CLL is sometimes we often battle with. It may or may not be related with, to CLL. That's the... That's the first question we always ask. So rising lymphocyte count by itself would not cause fatigue. So uh, when I face with that uh, issue in my clinic, the first thing I do is rule out the other potential causes of fatigue. You know, CLL may be there, but it's life, so life goes on. And sometimes there are other reasons why fatigue is there. Commonly, I find something like uh, hypothyroidism, you know, decreased thyroid function, or um, uh, obstructive sleep apnea. So there are other potential reasons of fatigue other than CLL. Um, if we truly conclude that it's, if we conclude that it may be related to CLL, that's something which sometimes uh, may be difficult to address, uh, and at that point we uh, start talking um, uh, about what potential treatment options we might consider. Okay, um, I have to say that when fatigue is the sole symptom, it, symptom is, it does make things a little bit uh, more complicated as the treatment itself may, may, may make uh, uh, patients with CLL more fatigued. So basically then it becomes an individual discussion, but I just want to make a point that I try to uh, rule, out, rule out other causes of uh, fatigue. And we have another question um, which um, has just come in from an online participant as well. Um, that question is for Dr. Danlov. Is an unmated status generally an indication of less time for progression-free CLL while on ibrutinib? Uh, so while on ibrutinib, so um, the question is, uh, does IGHV unmutated status uh, predict uh, how long patients will be on ibrutinib? And so far from what we know is uh, the answer would be no. So patients who have mutated IGHV uh, and unmutated IGHV status seem to respond to ibrutinib equally well. That's at least the data that we have so far. Excellent. Thank you. Um, thank you. Um, and um, our next question, again, for Dr. Um, 
Danilov. Um, what will be the role of Zenetoclax in the community in frontline CLL moving forward? So uh, there will, I believe there will be a role. I cannot fully speak to that yet. So there is a uh, study which is being conducted in Germany. In fact, uh, there was a press release, the study called CLL14, which was a randomized study which evaluated venetoclax in frontline setting in treatment of CLL. So this, the study results have not been officially presented yet. They didn't make the ash cut, otherwise it would have been yet another presentation, a large, big, big deal presentation on CLL at ash. But they didn't make that cut. Um, um, and uh, I, well, so I do not know exactly when the data will be presented, but it will be soon. We are all eagerly waiting for that. So once that data is presented, I'm I'm sure, you know, I don't I don't know that for sure, but I assume that uh, an approval in frontline therapy of CLL will be entertained. When that will exactly happen, I don't know. But um but uh this is certainly the results we are waiting for and uh very excited about the press release indicated that the study was was positive in favor of Venita Cox. Oh, thank you so much. Um, and um, these are wonderful questions and great uh, great participants here, I must say. Um, and another question now for Dr. Um, Danilov. Um, what is the current first-line treatment for patients with 17P unmutated, other poor prognosticators who are relatively young, under 50, no comorbidities, allo transplant, and if not, why not because if failure, go on abutinib or or and or venetoclax. Again, if you could answer this in a general way, right. everyone think I, Yeah, understood. So deletion 17P is certainly um, the still an unmet medical need in in uh, the field of CLL. So now I have to say that um, there are many patients with CLL, with deletion 17P who still do not require therapy at the time of diagnosis. And I've certainly seen patients with deletion 17P who have not been treated for a decade. So we, we apply the same rules to patients with CLL who have deletion 17P as to everyone else with CLL. So far, there is no data that treating CLL early, regardless of deletion 17P, helps patients live longer. So if and when treatment is needed, um, then we really talk about targeted therapies, and I mentioned, uh, I guess at this point, the brutinib is the drug approved in a frontline setting. I would strongly encourage participation in a clinical trial, uh, such as where a uh, combination of novel therapies getting used, that's part of the reason, uh, is being used, that's part of the reason why I mentioned the cooperative group trials. We really need to learn uh, how to better, to better manage deletion 17P disease. We are also working um, on a, another cooperative group trial specifically for this patient population. So I, I would strongly encourage to seek out uh, clinical trials with novel agents. In terms of allogeneic stem cell transplant, um, um, it is certainly so far the only curative option for patients with CLL who have deletion 17P. Now, that is associated with um, quite a bit of... Um, Toxicities, you know, up to 20% of patients um, um, experience very severe toxicities in the, even in the first year after transplant. 
So it uh, it does warrant a conversation with a transplant physician. What those toxicities are, uh, how 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 what do we what do we do to make sure that the risk is minimized, etc. Um, etc. Et but yes, for younger patient, that needs to be a conversation. I would say, um, and uh, then uh, um, um, uh, but there would be time uh, to address this. Uh, there will be time to address this as as the brutinib still does work quite well in, in in patients with deletion 17p, so we are looking at years of therapy. Um, uh, and uh, finally, there is another exciting area, which is CAR T cells, um, which are currently in clinical trials uh, for CLL, and that's potentially another space, deletion 17p CLL, where there may be a role for CAR T cell use earlier rather than later in disease course. So, but with our transplant, it is a complicated discussion, which I would encourage uh, uh, to have, um, because it does take some time to decide what's the right approach. Awesome. Thank you. Again, wonderful, amazing questions. Um, so here we have another one, and this um, this is um, I was diagnosed with CLL large granular T cell in 2003. Been on watch and wait the whole time. Recent blood work showed all levels within normal ranges. Is that common? And in answering, addressing this question, also, could you comment a bit about the watch and wait? Uh, I think that comes up a lot in these calls in terms of people's concern about being on watch and wait. Uh, I'll be right. <laughs> so my understanding is the question is actually about a different disease called LGL leukemia. Large granular lymphocytic leukemia, is that what the question is about? It was diagnosed with CLL large granular T cell. In yeah, so that's a different disease. So that's called LGL, large granular lymphocytic leukemia. It is a T cell or NK cell disease. It's not CLL. It's not BCLL. So uh, in the old days, we used to call it TCLL, but now we know it's really a different disease, and um, it's called LGL uh, leukemia. So, uh, but yes, it's true that in both CLL and LGL, uh, watch and wait is used. And uh, LGL does have some, the option, treatment options in LGL are somewhat different. And we actually have not discussed them here, really. Um, we use completely different set of drugs to treat LGL compared to CLL. But watch and wait is relevant to both. And again, as I said before, there is not necessarily a downside to that, uh, as long as we are evaluating for symptoms and, uh, uh, and monitoring for anemia or low platelet count or anything else that CLL might cause or LGL the same way. So again, as I said, treating CLL early does not improve survival of patients. However, there are some things which we can do during this watch and wait period, and that that would include um, uh, vaccinations, uh, you know, pneumonia vaccines, killed zoster vaccines, Sengrix, uh, regular flu vaccines, um, vitamin D supplementation may be used, dermatology exams, avoid avoidance of sun exposure. CLL does put patients at at, at risk for squamous cell non-melanoma non-melanoma skin cancers. So there are those things which can be done during watch and wait. Um, it's it is a pretty active process. But again, in terms of active therapy, 
uh, it's not recommended um, until there are clear indications. And that's true of both LGL, T-cell LGL, and uh, CLL. Thank you. And we have another question for Dr. Denlov. Um, I have had flow cytometry test and fish test at the time of diagnosis. At time of diagnosis, is IgHV permutation test done once disease has progressed? And again, it addresses. So, so typically, so flow, typically, what I would do, I would not repeat flow cytometry because uh, the once the diagnosis is made then it's fine, uh, unless I suspect that the diagnosis has been incorrect or may have changed, something as has something is different. In terms of IgHV mutational status, you can only test for it once. It doesn't change. Once you are assigned into a certain category, it does not change. If you are mutated, then you stay mutated no matter what you do. And uh, the vice versa. If it's unmutated, it doesn't become different despite treatment. So in terms of fish um, analysis, I typically would repeat that before treatment, particularly, well, if, say, roughly more than two years has passed since the original testing. So because there can be some evolution in the composition, genetic composition of the disease, uh, so things may actually change over time. So I do recheck it uh, when I'm ready to treat somebody. Uh, that's relevant to fish specifically. But again, if it was only done six months ago, then unlikely anything has changed. Uh, but if it's been two years or more, then I typically would do it again. And um, here's another uh, brush for waiting. Um, I have CLL, and I do. Um, how do I know when I need to start treatment when I'm on watchful waiting? Yeah, so CLL is typically a very indolent, slow lymphoma, or leukemia lymphoma. So uh, uh, the symptoms come on slowly. Um, and uh, they include, as I mentioned before, unexplained weight loss or night sweats uh, or progressive fatigue, uh, shortness of breath in patients who develop anemia, bruising, uh, uh, growth of the lymph nodes. So typically it's not particularly subtle, and typically it's more, one, more than one thing that's going on. But those are the symptoms to watch out for. Excellent. Um, and um, another question from one of our online participants. Is there data on treatment options for patients progressing on a venetoclax? Uh, so, well, that's a little bit of an uncharted territory in a sense that we've only used venetoclax for a very limited time. Um, so, um, they are not the the studies have been limited, meaning it's hundred say hundred patients here, hundred patients there, but we don't have such a big experience with venetoclax so far. So um, use of B cell receptor signaling inhibitors such as ibrutinib, pacalabrutinib, PI3K inhibitors, adalizib, dovelizib is an option. So it depends what uh, prior treatments have been, but again. Those drugs which I've mentioned uh, would be all options in uh, uh, upon progression on venetoclax. So ibrutinib, acalabrutinib, duvelisib, pedalalisib. So those are all approved for relapsed uh, 
uh, CLL on that setting. Sometimes chemotherapy may be an option. So it, uh, the, 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 the really, uh, that really becomes very individualized, what has happened before, and uh, what would probably work back best next, but there are options. Excellent. And um, a question from one of our participants, um, for Dr. Danilov. Um I've read that exposure to Agent Orange increases the risk of CLL. I am a veteran for, so I get tested for CLL. Uh-huh. So, um, yes, so I would actually, so that's more of a um, less of a medical question. I I think that's the question which would be actually maybe even best addressed by the CLL Society. I would I would recommend that you get in touch with the CLL Society folks, and they have quite a bit of experience um, in uh, connecting you with the VA benefits and uh, 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 could explain some of this. Uh, is my understanding correct? What the question is about? Yes, and Patty, do you want to? Yes, I, I would like to address that. We, we have uh, one volunteer in particular who who is a veteran himself and, and of course, is diagnosed with CLL and has made it um, uh, an area of, uh, of, uh, of great interest to himself and has done a lot of exploring what benefits the VA has available to CLL patients. And certainly you will, we will be able to connect you with other um, people exposed to, to Agent Orange who have the same, you know, the same or similar concerns. We, we are really good people for those questions that keep you up at night and you want to connect with other people who have been down this path or are facing the same sorts of um, dilemmas. So please contact us. Yes, you can contact us at support at CLLsociety.org or at info at CLLsociety.org, and I'll probably pick that up. I'm the most likely person who will receive that email, and I'll do my best to connect you. Oh, thank you so much. That sounds like a wonderful resource, and um, I think for many on the call who um, who are concerned about these issues, it's wonderful. To, and you can see that the CLL Society is... Um, as Dr. Allen has said, it's just a great place to call with some of these, these questions that you may have. So thank you. Yes, we want to emphasize that people are not alone. This is a very, very big community, and 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 we welcome you. So it, you aren't troubling us. We, you are giving us an opportunity to serve you. And this might be a good question for you, Mr. Coffin, as well. I was just diagnosed with CLL. Will I be able to work, exercise, and perform my usual activities? Oh, that, that that is a question. I think for uh, <laughs> for Doctor Dr. Dallas. Okay, Doctor Dallas. Okay. Yes, most pa- for okay. for most patients, yes, that's correct. Most of my patients uh, lead normal lives, and the only some the I'd say the vast majority of my patients only know that they have CLL because I told them so, uh, or <laughs> their primary care physician told them so. So they can be a very long watch and wait period in CLL. So uh, most of my patients uh, do not do not change their lifestyle. That's and a question, excellent. And Dr. Dell has a question. And what is smoldering CLL? Well, there is no. We do not use that term. So we use smoldering myeloma for myeloma. And honestly, talking to my myeloma colleagues, they, there is also controversy as to what that really means. I, I assume they just mean smoldering CLL just means CLL in the stage of watch, watch and wait. But I typically do not hear that term. 
so that that's that's helpful for people to know. Um, um, so, um, what just to, we're kind of coming to close soon. So, what are um, in terms of Dr. Danilov, um the takeaway from today from the Ash meeting? Um, most recent advances in CL therapy that people can kind of really be aware of and think about. Um, and perhaps ask their healthcare team about as well. Um, right. I think the takeaway is that uh, the age of targeted therapy has arrived, and we we you use targeted therapies a lot in in upfront therapy of CLL. And what helps decide make the right decision whether to go ahead with chemoimmunotherapy or targeted therapy is evaluating those biomarkers. There are some patients for whom chemoimmunotherapy is absolutely not right anymore. Uh, and there are some for whom it could still be discussed based on the goal of care, you know, honestly cost. Um, unfortunately, that comes into play, um, et cetera. And um, we have more than one targeted agent now where some patients with CLL will never see chemotherapy. Actually, I think that proportion, that number goes up and up uh, uh, every time. It goes up, it goes up every year. So um, I, I think eventually chemotherapy will fade into posterity, will, uh, uh, and uh, it's already slowly happening. Um, and uh, again, I would encourage to seek out uh, clinical trials. There are large cooperative group trials coming out with novel therapy combinations, which we anticipate will perform really well and uh, will become will will herald the new age of uh, therapy in CLL. Excellent. And this is a slightly breaking question here, but it is probably one about about vaccines. Is the new shingles vaccine, Shingrix, recommended for those with CLL who already yes. have Zosidex? Okay. Do you want to comment on yeah. that a little bit more? Yeah, well, so we typically do not use live vaccines in CLL, so live Zoster vaccine is contraindicated in CLL. If somebody already had it, that's fine. Then they they probably I would assume they would be protected. Uh, if you didn't have one, then I wouldn't recommend it, and I would recommend Shingrix instead. Wow, this has been an amazing um, uh, time that we've all spent together. I have to say, um, and uh, a lot's been covered, and a lot of information. I want to thank our speakers, who've been phenomenal. So thank you very much. I also want to thank all of you who um, have participated in the uh, polling, which we've done. We may actually do that more regularly on the call, so thank you for doing that as well. And um, it will help to inform our future programs. We are actually planning a two-part series on CLL coming up, so stay tuned. Um, there will be more coming. Um, and um, so that I did say that if any of you had questions at the end, that I would address how you can get your questions answered. And you probably already know the answer to that question, but I am going to um, definitely recommend that you do contact the CLL Society, certainly, because it is, it is the group that really does focus specifically on CLL, and I think it's a wonderful resource for all of you um, to contact. And I think uh, Ms. Coffin is just a wonderful voice um, for, for them, um, and uh, and knows a great deal that can help you, um, and knows also when what what when the CLL Society is the best to help you, and when you can go back to treating healthcare team. We never want to sidestep your healthcare team, and we want you to know that they're very much there for you, of course, all the time. So, for anyone who asked a question today, or who even has a question they didn't get to ask, because there are many more questions in queue, please go to your healthcare team first. Ask them your question. That's really important. Um, I also, um, and then of course you have the CLL Society, and um, 
I often also recommend um, the National Cancer Institute as a resource, um, and you'll be getting that information um, at the end of the call as well, um, their 800 number. They also have a website with a live chat feature, so it's really nice that you can post your question, and, and they, one of their information specialists will help to get you that information. And that's good for people all over the world um, as well as... Um, as people in the U.S. as well. And, of course, the CL Society helps people everywhere. So your questions, of course, they have a website. Um, and um, their website is www.clsociety.org. And for those of you who wish to pursue some support of counseling from cancer care or practical and financial assistance or copay assistance um, or join a support group, and although the, the CLL Society has a number of groups throughout the country, so we hear that those are growing. Again, I would check with them first because they, they really have a growing group, numbers of groups of, of, um, for C people with CLL. That's a, that's a wonderful resource as well. So you can see that there's lots out there for you, and I think as Ms. Kaufman said, we don't want any one of you to feel you're alone. We want you to know there are lots of resources out there for you, and I realize that depending where you live or depending upon just you know um, how you feel in a day, you often may sometimes feel alone, but we want you to know in, in those moments that there are places that you can call and that can, you can get help from. So I do want to mention that we have a few programs coming up that actually could be of interest to you. One is on um, uh, managing eye and vision changes related to cancer treatments. That's on April 15th. Another on joys and challenges of pets in your home when you have cancer. Um, that's on April 8th. And um, a third one, taking your pills on schedule, um, and that's on um, April 3rd, all at the same time zone, um, 1.30 to 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time. But most importantly, as we conclude the program today, um, we hope that you now feel connected to, these, to the CL Society, to Cancer Care, and to many other organizations that are out there to help you. Um, and uh, we are there for you. Thank you for participating today and being such a great great participants, great audience, asking great questions, and um, we look forward to being a part of other programs that we'll be doing soon. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.